So welcome to the meditation on elements and color casinas. This is something I think rarely done. And I thought for many years that it would be a, an interesting area to fill in in the teaching. So normally when you go to retreats, meditation retreats consist of usually loving-kindness, perhaps mindfulness retreats, uh, rather more rarely samadhi retreats. And usually in the samadhi retreats, you're using the breath. So I thought it would be better to uh, explore the full range of meditation objects that are developed in uh, both in the suttas, rather briefly in the suttas, and more extensively in the commentaries, so that this is for general publications. You know, you can find these things in rather obscure commentaries, but most people are not going to explore the the later commentaries, and they don't know where to look or how to look, etc. So I want to make this more accessible to the public. These topics are for the cultivation of samadhi. And that is a often translated as concentration, but I like to expand around this idea of what concentration is. It's not something that gives you a headache. It's more absorption, uh, delicious absorption, enjoyment, even rapturous immersion in a subject. And the subject is not an intellectual subject. In fact, it is very much not an intellectual subject because although uh, using your mind and thinking about things can be quite delightful, depending on the subject, if you're really interested in it, thinking has its limits and there's special uses of the mind which are not well known to the modern world. And this was more well known in the ancient world and carefully documented. And this is the function we call samadhi. And this is the use of these, what are called casinas. And this word casina, K-A-S-I-N-A, is what they use to refer to these objects. And these objects are kind of elemental, purified objects which are found generally in the world and appear to the senses, but we take them and purify them. And we use them to develop mental states, mental and emotional states. And I want to make sure that you understand that the practice of meditation is not purely a mental activity. It's not an intellectual activity. It's a full emotional activity. So what we would call how your how your heart is or how are you how are you feeling your overall emotional well-being and that includes your relationship to the body so this samadhi practice this focused lucid practice is going to affect not only your mental processes your emotional processes, but also your experience of the body. Now, don't get carried away here. 
when frequently if you're talking about mystical practices and Buddhist meditation practices, people love to bring in esoteric ideas, magic ideas, wishful thinking, and so forth. And I would say that if you incline to magical ideas, you may be missing something. It's better than that. (laughs) You know, a truly relaxed, healthy, well human being is better than magic. It's one of the great things in the universe, maybe the greatest thing in the universe. So don't don't dismiss true emotional health as anything less than the the peak of human experience. It's really about well-being and happiness, and the Buddha is very clear about this. And some of the words that are used for the development of these states are emotional. So joy is frequently used as a word by the Buddha for the experience of the mind unburdened and for the body, well-being, happiness, state of ease in the body. And these two things are, in fact, super normal. So I'm not sure that everybody understands this word super normal. It's kind of a, an academic way of speaking. It means above normal. The ordinary person walks around not in a state of true well-being. They're emotionally not joyful, serene. They are usually having mixed emotions, sometimes dominantly towards negative emotions. I would say that the average person is immersed in uh, negative states quite frequently. And uh, the body is also not in a state of ease and, in fact, uh, something that we would call perhaps slightly rapturous, saturated with joy and so forth. People have moments of this if they're, they're sports fans or something and the, finally their team wins the series and the national anthem is played, you'll have, people will describe it. They will say that they, you know, the little ripples ran up their spine, their, their hair stood up, they had tears of joy. So people have these moments of, uh, of ecstasy, rapture and so forth and not associated with the use of drugs or anything like this, just natural experiences. People also have profound attachments and joy in human relationships and also relationships with animals like their pets and so forth. They have, they find great joy and pleasure and deep emotional well-being in these things. So this is where we're, where we're talking about. However, those are normal experiences. They're on the good end of the normal spectrum of human experience good relationships, family and friends, good relationships with uh, nature around you, to go in, rapturously go into, a, into an old growth forest and feel it. It's, it can be thrilling to go to the ocean, to witness a uh, thunderstorm, to hear rain on the roof at night and so forth. These are all wonderful and beautiful experiences. Alas, they are usually too rare. They should be more present in human life. 
But there are things even beyond this, and which you can use skills that were taught in the time of the Buddha, by the Buddha, in fact, and practiced by many generations of monks and lay people. And I want to make sure that you understand that in different times of history, Buddhism has evolved in certain ways, depending on the social structures that are going on at the time. Sometimes it's thought only monks are truly able to meditate. They have lifestyles which support meditation. And in those times, lay people are at a distance from that and they're not expected to meditate. They're expected to try to behave themselves and perhaps offer some uh, food and so forth to the monks and to try to manage their families all right. Other times in history, lay people bring themselves to the monastery to listen carefully to meditation instructions and to spend significant amount of time in the monastery, quite often uh, a whole nights, once a week. And in, to this day, in certain areas of Asia where the monks are practicing meditation deeply, lay people join them for deep uh, periods of extended meditation. And they get careful instruction in the practice of the more sublime emotions and focus on uh, breath. And they also get instructions in what are called the enlightenment practices, the insight practices. So at certain times, lay people are invited to uh, and expected to develop these above normal states. So this is why I'm using this medium for communicating this. In former times, of course, we didn't have access to this. Monks in general would talk to a very small group of people, and perhaps if they were in a very large monastery, up to a few hundred people or something like that. But with this medium, we can preserve these talks, and we can engage in this kind of deep practice together through this medium. And we hope to support you with... Uh, video and recording, giving you precise instructions, but also letting you feel that you are part of a, of a retreat and part of a large group of people who are also endeavoring in this. This is not something that everybody will do. You will, I'm sure that most of you who are watching this realize that you're sort of a small proportion of the population that are truly interested in such topics. And a very small percentage of the population are truly interested in, in the higher arts and the uh, deep pieces of music and all kinds of knowledge and uh, appreciation of literature and poetry and so forth. There's, it's, it is a small part of the population. Also, this kind of meditation practice cultivation of the all of the possibilities of the human heart and mind are going to be of interest to a certain small part of the population. However, since we have 8 billion humans on the planet, a small portion of the population can be hundreds of thousands, millions of people actually can get interested in this and actually do this. So it's not impossible. It's not one in a million. It's not one in a billion either. 
it's um, something that people, if they listen, and they of all ages as well. So if you happen to be 12 years old and watching this, you too have a shot at this. In Buddhist culture, very young people are frequently entering the robes, full immersion in monastic life. They leave their family and uh, become novices in monasteries at 11, 12 years old, sometimes the mid-teens, etc. So you can imagine that the Buddha felt that it's possible even at very early ages. As you can see, for young people, they can develop fantastic capacities for music, athletics, uh, intellectual activities, and so forth. They have great possibilities. Don't underestimate yourself. And don't un if you're a person with children, uh, don't underestimate their interest in these things as well. So it is possible for them to engage in it. There is no upper limit for age. There were reports at the time of the Buddha of people being 100 years old and entering the robes and attaining enlightenment. So there is no cutoff for this. There is no age structure. There is no gender structure for this. And so do not underestimate yourself. And uh, there is a small portion of the people who are interested who may be overestimating yourself. This is a... Um, this is to do yourself a disservice, to overestimate your capacities or what you have attained, what you think you have attained in terms of uh, the practices of samadhi or insight is a shame. Always try to underestimate your accomplishments. Otherwise, you might leave things undone thinking you have done them, but there is much more to do. So feel okay with underestimating. It's much better to underestimate your capacities and attainments than to overestimate them. So these casinas, we will be dealing mostly with what are called the four elements and the four primary color casinas. One of the elements that you may have already practiced is the air element meditation. And you may be thinking, I haven't practiced the air element meditation, but have you practiced breath meditation? Yes, breath meditation is air element meditation. Now, let me just briefly go through what these four elements are. Air, water, earth, and fire. And I'm sure you've heard these. In uh, most cultures, they have this kind of list of primary elements. And the four primary colors are red, blue, yellow, and white. And I will be giving uh, several talks on the color casino meditations and a couple of talks on the element meditations. But if you have done breath meditation, you have done a form of air meditation, air element meditation. So when we say the elements, these are the primary, this is kind of a 19th century English word that they used to use. A person went, I'd like to go, I, I need to go out into the elements. 
And what do they mean by the elements? I need to go out into the rain and the snow and the sun and the wind. I need to face the elements. And in earlier times, people were more exposed to this. Lots of farmers and sailors in rather um, primitive types of vessels. One was exposed to the elements in uh, all kinds of ways in ordinary life. As we become more civilized, we end up hunkering down in our glassed-in condo, watching YouTube, and um, never stepping out onto the balcony even. We are attempting modernity to control the elements all the time, control our exposure to the elements, and try and, and part of it is to to have a constant state of comfort, etc. However, this can be problematic. I'll expound more more on the health-giving benefits of the elements and exposure to them. And this in, in general is what we call going into nature. And I think some psychologists are recognizing that it can be a great benefit to go out into nature, and that when children are raised entirely removed from the natural elements, that negative things can happen. Because after all, we are evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to be directly in contact with the elements and the way our mind and body structures work has been formed hundreds of thousands of years previously. And if modernity allows you to be in a different way and removed from these the primary elements of nature, then you maybe your entire system of body-mind is not, not uh, developed for that, that removal. And if it is not treated properly, then it won't respond properly. And so maybe the roots of many an ailment, both mental, emotional, and body, are because of a lack of appreciation of your relationship to the elements. And so we will be uh, talking more about this. The the elements are, in fact, for in terms of meditation, are probably noticed by the sensitive individual to begin with. The Buddha didn't necessarily invent these things, although he refined them and uh, and used them in ways that weren't previously used. But I think all societies understand the nature of contact with the with water. What water does to you, if you go to the ocean to a river, to a waterfall, the sound of rain, the feeling of rain, drinking a glass of water, living in certain environments that are dry like deserts. And then, uh, of course, wherever humans go, they need water. We're constituted of water. Now, this is something that the Buddha also pointed out, that the, these four elements are the primary elements of the entire world. And this is what you are constituted of as well. The human body is constituted of these four elements. There is an element of water. We're largely water beings. We are more or less a 
bag of seawater, red seawater. The blood is, is very close to just being seawater. Fortunately, we have some coral in this bag of seawater for stumping around on. Uh, that is your bones. That's solid earth element. And you have a heat element as well, and uh, it's very carefully set. As you are a mammal, you are set around 37 degrees Celsius, 98, whatever it is, Fahrenheit. And uh, you, are, you have a little internal heater which wants to maintain that structure. And that is called the fire element or the element of warmth. And uh, one of the ways you maintain that is through imbibing an energy source, and that is food. So this food that you eat is also the earth element. As you notice, perhaps uh, you put a seed in the earth, and voila, you have a head of cabbage. How does the cabbage spring from the earth? And then you, you can eat the cabbage, which is made of earth. And why do you need to eat the earth, because you also are earth. Your composition is, you are earth just as the planet is. There's a slight difference between inorganic and organic, but you are intimately the earth. In the body is contains the earth, it contains water, and fire in the sense of the temperature and digestion and uh, these things, and uh, wind, of course. Now. You can go quite a long time without food, maybe even a month without food. And you can go only a few days without water, but you can't go very long without the next breath. Now, that air element is very important. Also, if, you're, if the heat is inadequate, you die. <laughs> and if the heat is too much, and it doesn't take much, by the way. I've heard lately that uh, the humans perish in uh, temperatures of about 30 degrees if the humidity is 100%. Because if it's slightly above body temperature, like the air temperature in a continuous way is slightly above body temperature, and the humidity in the air is doesn't allow you to sweat and evaporate sweat, you die. <laughs> we are intimately related with the atmosphere and these four elements. We are, the body is these four elements, and the four elements are how we experience the world. So these elements are incredibly important, and we cannot, they are not something distant from us. The world around us is not something other than us. We are the world. We eat the world. We breathe the world. We drink the world. And then we contribute that breath and the and the fluids and the solids, etc., back to the world. We are just um, a whirlpool, basically, within a river of these elements. So the four elements are a river of events, earth and air and fire and water. And we are earth and air and fire and water. We are a, a, a river of events flowing in a river of events. So we're just a little whirlpool swirling through this river of nature and events. When you start to feel and think like this, you return to home. 
When you get the idea that you're somehow separate from the river of events, you are in a state of delusion and you you have misidentified yourself and you will feel alienated from the world around you. You will feel not at home in the world around you, which is ludicrous because you are made from the world around you. Everything in the world around you is within you and whatever is within you is without you. (laughs) When we reintegrate into our natural state like this, we, we know this by the change in our emotional structure. We feel relaxed, safe, part of part of it, an aspect of it, intimately no other than it. And this is the the accurate, this is, and by the way, I think, I don't think we'll get any argument from science about this. This is, this is clearly a science fact, as well as something that you discover through intuition. But when we think too much intellectually or with logic and so forth, we often in some strange way, isolate ourselves from our environment. And of course, you see this in the modern world where we have environmental catastrophes. We're, we're thinking we're separate from the environment around us, so we dump our wastes and so forth, toxins into the environment, but then it comes back and, and bites us, literally bites us. <laughs> it makes us sick, and we wonder, well, how come I'm sick? Because you are not separate from the environment, and you never will be. So we need, when we talk about environmentalism, we're not talking about something external to us. We're talking also, these are internal needs. So this subject of the elements is, is such a rich and beautiful and deep subject. It is no other than you and your well-being, and it is no other than this planet and the structure that we're in. And in fact, it is no other than the universe that we're in. And this is something that we need to reharmonize with because there are great benefits in returning yourself to the truth of who you actually are. So this is something we will cultivate and develop through this retreat. So that's just briefly talking about the four elements. Now, the four primary colors are part of this natural environment as well. So consider the effect when you step out into a vast blue sky, a cloudless blue sky above you, especially when you're a child, for instance. Quite often, children are taken by this. They they stare at the sky. They they dance around on the grass. They, They want to lie on their back on the grass and look at the blue sky. They look at the blue sky. As you grow older, you become, you get a social life and you're more distracted but sometimes it lasts right into your teens. And sometimes some people, the the appreciation of the vast blue sky and the amazing experience of the vast blue sky is maintained by a person all throughout their life. But others get preoccupied. They start, they're looking down at the sidewalk. They're, They're in contained rooms. They don't pay attention to this. They lose that. They're preoccupied with their social dimension of their life, their, their sense of, uh, social ranking and so forth and preoccupation with ideas and they forget these uh, basically primal joy that one can experience just embracing the vast blue sky. Now blue comes up in many aspects of nature as well, the vast blue sea as well. Uh, 
red, you can have a moment that stops you in your tracks when you see a very large, beautiful red rose hanging over a, a fence as you walk down the sidewalk. Somebody's got a beautiful flower garden and a large, some of these luscious red roses are the size of your face, you know, and it's just, it's quite, it's a moment that stops you in your tracks to see such a thing. Uh, there is the pink sunset, the red sky in the morning, and the blue sky of midday. So this primary color of red. Yellow, of course, uh, elements of the moon and the sun, which are enrapturing. The color of gold itself. Why is gold so valuable? People seem to universally respond to this incredible gold, um, yellow color. And then white, the fluffy white clouds, vast white clouds. If you've been in an airplane, you're flying through the clouds or above the clouds. It's just, you can't take your eyes off the clouds to the horizon below you and sometimes above you. And if you live in a more colder climate, you will experience snow and the miracle of seeing miles and miles of white snow. It's, it's staggering. The snow under moonlight, the snow in the sun, the snow in the evening. So these are the primary colors, and they're not uh, other than nature itself. These are the a presentation of how the colors appear in nature and how you are attuned to these things. These, these are the primary colors, again, which all the secondary colors are mixtures of these colors. So you mix, if you mix blue and yellow, you get a green and so forth. We want to extract uh, the absolute pristine primary colors for these, this practice of uh, meditation and casino qualities. So this is a brief overview of what we're going to do with this retreat and how we're going to examine this. And so this is not a sterile exercise. This is full immersion into more or less the truth of who you are. And uh, you will recognize it as a truth. And by the way, when when I talk about truth, I'm not talking about mathematical truth or scientific truth. I'm talking about truths that 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 you confirm in your emotional being and are undeniable to you. It's something that when you come across a profound truth, a meaningful truth, a truth like love, love is a truth, you, it confirms itself undeniably. A great piece of music, when you hear a great piece of music that moves you, it's a truth that confirms itself undeniably. You don't have to ask anybody, is this true? <laughs> you don't have to examine the material behind it. It is in your face true. So this is, this is this experience of the elements and these primary colors. We want to extract the truth benefit from them, the truth quality. And this is something that moves you and changes you and that you recognize as something that you it emerges from you that you know that you knew already but forgot that you knew so this is what we're coming back to with these elements these 
core and basic things. And I will be talking more extensively about the techniques for this over the next few talks. So this is just a preliminary uh, introduction to this, and uh, this is the direction we will be going for this retreat.